0: And I'll do it. You're listening to "Here's the Catch" with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, a new era has begun for the "Here's the Catch" podcast with Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown. I'm David Lombardi, and we are moving into the 49ers' off season. That's the new era I'm talking about because, guys, in the past, the 49ers hadn't necessarily been in absolute win now mode as far as their offseason strategy went. But now after what happened in that Super Bowl, after they blew the 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and were oh so close to grabbing that trophy, they most definitely are in win now mode. This team knows that they have a very capable roster, one of the best, if not the best roster it, it, rosters in the NFL, and they know that this offseason is key in moving forward to try to secure that Lombardi trophy next season. So we're, we're at an interesting crossroads now, guys, because this is uh, where every team wants to be, but it's also a challenging spot because the 49ers are now back up against the salary cap, but they definitely, Matt, want to preserve as much as possible from that roster that took them all the way to the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, and it's totally different than where they've been in, in previous years where they've had lots of roster space and uh, you know, the, the big talk at this time of the year for us would be, you know, which of the other team's free agents are they after? And that's, that's, that's not even on our radar right now. It's, it's can this team fit all of the guys that they want to resign? And I, I think we all agree that DeForest Buckner and George Kittle uh, are at the top of the list. But it, it becomes interesting because those are going to be big uh, as, uh, as David – illustrated today those are going to be big numbers and the question then becomes okay with those big numbers done will they, they be able to do eric armstead and emmanuel sanders and jimmy ward and who is the priority of that group et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? and uh you know that that's an interesting topic for us um you know is that mathematically possible and who are the priorities uh you know of that group dennis That I just mentioned Buckner Kittle Armstead Ward Sanders how would you sort of rank that uh as far as your to-do list if you're a Prague Marate and and the 49ers
2: you know it's interesting uh you know John Lynch comes into this organization when didn't have much talent on on the roster and then he kind of built uh through the draft and free agency this Super Bowl contending team and now he's got a bigger job because he has to figure out how to keep this team together. And, and I think that's the important thing. I mean, when you start talking about uh, dynasties and, and a team that can, can continue to compete for a championship, you got to keep guys together. It's going to be a tough job this offseason because he's got such a great nucleus, but he's got a lot of free agents. And I, I think when you look at DeForest, like you said, I think Eric Armstead, is a guy you really have to look at because he has really taken his game to the next level. He's kind of did, he's done so much uh, as far as a defensive uh, inside and outside defensive uh, player on this team that I think it's important to keep him and I think it's important to keep guys like Quan Alexander and I think it's important to keep guys like Jimmy Ward who's kind of proved that, you know, what the 49ers kind of saw in him many years ago that we didn't see, that we kind of gave up on that he is a really good football player. He's super important to this defense. So it's going to be interesting to see how John Lynch kind of handles this because he's going to have a tough job. He's got to keep this defense. This defense is what kind of of driven this team throughout this whole season. It's going to be important to keep these guys together because when you start bringing other guys in, then you have that learning curve. And these guys, you know, they believe in this defense. They believe in Salah. It's important that Sala staying in. Uh, it looks like it so far at least and to keep these guys in place that kind of know this defense and know the attitude of this defense.
0: So to keep this team together let me outline the financials as simply as possible. As we stand right now the 49ers have 13 million dollars in 2020 salary cap space. That is obviously not a lot. That's probably only enough to sign one of the many guys that they have on that grocery list. So we talk about DeForest Buckner. We talk about Eric Armstead, George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, Jimmy Ward. And then you can't forget about the other expenses. Beyond those five guys, uh, there are restricted free agents like Kendrick Bourne and Matt Breida. And Bourne, for sure, I think, is a guy that's going to stay around. He'll cost about $2 million next year. So that's already $2 million out of the $13 million, And that's before you even account for the draft class this season, which should be cheaper because the 49ers don't have as many draft picks, but it's still going to require a couple million dollars. So immediately you see the squeeze. You see that 13 million is not enough to re-sign all of those guys. That's why the 49ers are starting to get creative right now. One thing that they've done already is restructure two contracts. That's Quan Alexander's and Weston Richburg's. And what restructuring does, it's it's basically like what the United States federal government does with the national debt. They just decide to pay stuff later. They move stuff back, right? So a lot of the base salary that you see for a guy like Quan Alexander and Western Richburg is taken away from this year, converted to a bonus. So the 49ers actually pay it all up front, but the cap hit comes later. So that's opened up 13 million so far. They can still do something like restructure Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, open up another $19 million. They can cut guys, and that could open up another 15 or so million if you cut Jarek McKinnon and Marquise Goodwin and all this and all that. But uh, either way, you have to put the puzzle pieces together to free up more 2020 money, and you can't restructure too many deals because you'll pay for it down the line. So you have to keep this sustainable. At the end of the day, what I calculated, assuming that um, Eric Armstead makes about 15 million a year, assuming George Kittle makes about 14 to 16 million a year, assuming Jimmy Ward doubles his pay to about 9 million a year. In the end, all told, when you combine all that, including the draft class, I think the 49ers need about 50 million in free space. And they only have 13 right now. So that's why <laughs> this is going to get really tricky. And that's why I think there may be a casualty or two at the end of this process, Matt.
1: Well, okay who are the casualties though I mean because uh, you can make a really great argument for I mean all of these guys that we just named um, and then you know uh, casualties could be guys that that are not free agents obviously that that could carve away some space um, you know I, I agree with Dennis that the the defensive line was the really special unit of the of the team in, in 2019 and that's uh, uh, that, that has a bearing on the rest of your defense. Your linebackers are better with a, a good defensive line. Your, your secondary certainly is better with the pressure coming off the defensive line. So that I, you know the, the 49ers have shown that to be a priority in the past, and so I would imagine that continues to be the priority now so that Buckner and Armstead getting those two guys back in some way, shape, or form uh would be the uh would be the priority um and then you've got to do Kittle and, and you said 14 to 16 million for him um yeah i, I agree with you I, I think that that tight end number is going to be um toppled you know what is it right now 10 million is, is the yeah. highest for a tight end and 22 million is the highest for a wide receiver and a lot of number one receivers are
0: 16 million in the league including michael thomas and i think george Kittle is going to ask for number one receiver money, and it will be interesting to see where the 49ers meet it lands. When you
2: talk about that defensive line, like you said, Matt, I think it's super important you keep those guys together. But also, you got to think about the depth. I mean, look at – I think Sheldon Day, I think he is Ronald a – Ronald Blair, too. Yeah, I mean, these are guys that, you know, Ronald Blair didn't finish the season, but I think these guys are important that you kind of have to kind of look at kind of think about, you know, when you think about the depth in your defensive line and the ability to, to have, you know, guys in there to rest some of those horses, some of the ones. I think a Sheldon Day and a Ronald Blair is somebody you really have to consider keeping on this football team.
0: Well, so I think that when we talk about casualties, what I wrote in my piece, I think Emmanuel Sanders is the most likely one because I agree with you guys. I think that you have to try to keep that defensive line together, including the depth pieces. And you probably lean toward keeping Jimmy Ward too, just because you love the chemistry of that defense. So, if there's one piece that could be possibly solved by a wild card, and by wild cards, I'm talking about Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd, it's Emmanuel Sanders, who made 10 million this past year. And I think if you look at the, all the financial this and that, that 10 million for Emmanuel Sanders is is the easiest to save if you're operating under the assumption that you want to keep the defensive line intact?
1: Well, I'll play devil's advocate on Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, I think you're right. It could very well go in that direction. He also turns 33 next month. Uh, So you don't want to put a lot of money in guys who are in their their mid-30s. But that group, that wide receiver group, has so many question marks, and it's so young that it really needs a veteran receiver. It was thirsting, for one, when when they traded for Sanders back in uh, in October. And everybody was better after he got there. Sanders himself had, I forget what the number was, over 500 yards receiving Garoppolo, and, and Sanders hit it off immediately. The two young guys, Kendrick Bourne and Debo Samuel, were better after he arrived. He really seemed to round out that group. That group really... Needs a veteran guy, and I would argue that Kyle Shanahan has probably the most sway in this. Shanahan saw the value in Sanders, and so if it's not Sanders, they I feel like they need a veteran receiver in that unit. so that would be a, a tough one to miss. But you're right; there are a lot of bodies at that position, whereas there there aren't there certainly aren't at safety. Uh, so you would you would hope that a Dante Pettis would step up. Um, that a Jalen Hurd and a Trent Taylor would get over their injury issues and sort of round out that group, but but it's tough. I mean, Dennis, if you're having to pick between Jimmy Ward and Emmanuel Sanders, where do you where do you fall in that decision?
2: Again, I mean, I would hate to be Prague or or John Lynch because those are some hard decisions. And you said it, Emmanuel just kind of brought this whole uh, offensive a group of guys to a hole, and, and they played really well, you know, Debo after, Kendrick Bourne, after Emmanuel Sanders kind of arrived. And, you know, if you want to bank on, you know, Trent Taylor or Jalen Hurd, I mean, now you're talking about guys who have been hurt, you know, rookie season and then Trent, like two seasons since he's been on the football field. So, right. and you talk about a veteran in that room and, and not paying a, paying a, a 33-year-old receiver, but you know, a veteran, you're going to have some miles. And, and I, but I, I really think, that Emmanuel is a guy that you you have to consider. And, and there's a lot of money. I mean, restructuring is restructuring, but there's a lot of money. The guys are making a lot of money. And I think, I think this team, you know, the mindset of this team is, you know, it's always tough to go in and tell someone you're going to restructure their contract. But I think this team kind of believes in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and, you know, some of that money, maybe some of that Jimmy Garoppolo money, maybe he can restructure it to, to kind of keep. I'm sure he would love to keep Emmanuel Sanders around. And I think it's important to keep him. Man. But if I had to choose between him and Jimmy Ward, I'm a little biased. I would go on the offensive side. I think there may be some receivers you can get late in the draft. But uh, like you said, I think a veteran presence is 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 needed. And, you know, there's some money there with uh, Dante Pettis. I don't know what his contract is. But I would find it tough to kind of bank on your receiving crew, you know, moving into the next season when you got Trent Taylor, you got Jalen Hurd, then you got Dante Pettis, and just kind of hoping – you know, that one of these guys kind of steps up and you have a guy, a veteran that's that's played well and he didn't look like he lost any steps, you know, in, in his game, his route running, his his receiving ability uh, this season.
0: Well, how the 49ers proceed with how their cuts and their restructures will tell us just how much of this they can afford. And as John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan said multiple times, I think Shanahan even said it fresh after the Super Bowl loss at his press conference in Miami and then they both set it up on the stage at Levi's Stadium. They want to keep this together. They're going to explore every option to keep this together. But if they can't get all these restructures done, if they feel that you, know, you take Jimmy Garoppolo's $19 million base salary this year and put it all into a bonus that you have to pay out in future years, if they feel that that's going to really hurt their long-term sustainability – they, they'll they stop with the restructures. They, 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 they'll they have to start asking guys to take pay cuts, which is a little bit different. And then we'll see who takes a pay cut for the 49ers if that's what they really need this year to keep this gang together. But they're going to do their very best. They've promised they will. And I guess we could look at some of the details behind that. I think that we've come to consensus that keeping that defensive line is the most important thing, guys. And I don't mean to you know, make it sound like it's all doom and gloom financially for the 49ers. There's actually some good news. And one of those pieces of good news for them financially is that if you extend DeForest Buckner this offseason, you actually save salary cap money for 2020. Because DeForest Buckner is going to be playing on the fifth-year option price as of right now, which costs $14.36 million in 2020. But if you can give him that long-term deal, it will actually knock down his cap hit, and you can move some more of the cap hit back to future years which would actually open up money to re-sign a guy like Eric Armstead. And then when you talk about Eric Armstead, the 49ers actually have five options. One is the franchise tag. It's going to cost about $18 million, so it's pretty expensive. That's the exclusive franchise tag. Option two is if they put the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, which would actually allow other teams to negotiate with Armstead. The 49ers would have a chance to match their offer, and if they don't match their offer, then the 49ers would get two first-round picks from the team that would theoretically sign him. I think that's the way the 49ers may try to go just so they leave their options open. Option three is the transition tag, which is cheaper, but I don't think the 49ers will use. Option four is a long-term deal. That's probably going to cost 15 to 16 million a year. And option five is letting Armstead walk, which I don't think the 49ers want to do. I don't think you guys think either. So, Matt, out of those options, if you sign Buckner, save some money, uh, do you think the 49ers move to, to a tag scenario with Eric Armstead?
1: Well, the, the tag would probably be more expensive than a long-term deal for him, right? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't a one-year tag be more in 2020 than it would be if they had a, you know, a four-year deal for, for, yes, the exclusive
0: tag would be, that would be 18 million, which is, that was option one. So I don't see that as all that realistic, but option two, the non-exclusive tag is slightly cheaper. They don't have a number on that yet. We'll get that in March, but it would provide the 49ers some security and it'd be a Patriot style thing, right? They would get two first round picks as compensation if they didn't match another team's offer for Eric Armstead. Um, so that would be, you don't know if another team would offer, but if you think that there's somebody out there willing to overpay for Eric Armstead, that's the way
1: you got to go for the
0: 49ers because then those two first round picks would be dangling there.
1: Yeah. And you could franchise him and still be working on a a long-term deal, uh, before the the franchise tag kicks in. I don't think that any team is going to give up two, uh, first round picks for Armstead. That's that's what you would do for Khalil Mack or, or yeah. somebody who you you can count on getting, you know, fifteen to twenty sacks a year. Um, You know, one interesting thing that was brought up to me by a couple of agents who are unaffiliated with uh, with Armstead or or anybody else. They were just kind of musing about uh, a tag and trade scenario, which the 49ers actually did with the Chiefs last year when they got D Ford, and, and it's happened a couple of times in recent years uh, whereby you you, you tag uh, Armstead, you, the, the other team comes to a, a, a deal for him, and then you trade him for, I don't know, a second or a third round pick. Um, if you were to let him go to free agency and he signs somewhere else, at the bare minimum, you're getting probably a uh a compensatory pick in twenty twenty one that's going to be a third rounder. So that's that's sort of the the very basement of the the compensation that you would you would take. I, I would think that the, the best option is the long term deal. Um you know the, the the 49ers, like we've been saying, really want to keep that defensive line intact. Um Eric Armstead is a very unique player. He plays on the outside on base downs and he's really good against the run. And then he slips inside a defensive tackle, and that's where he got all of his sacks. All 10 sacks came from the inside. Um, that, that's hard to replicate that. That's something that you would have to replicate with a number of guys. And even if you you did do that, um, it, there would be a, uh, a drop-off uh, from for Eric Armstead. So I, I think all of that is pointing toward them getting a long-term deal done. I think that's probably the best bet. For this team. What, what do you think, Dennis, about their their options with Eric Armstead?
2: Well, my question is uh, do any of you know the status of D Ford's contract?
1: Yeah, so
0: D Ford's contract is that's actually brings us back and connects this to last year and the year before, where the 49ers were giving out a ton of deals to players that I called asterisk players, guys either with health issues in their past or with sample size issues. So Jimmy Garoppolo was one of those because the sample size wasn't there. D. Ford was obviously in the health category. But what the 49ers did, because they targeted players like that, and you could add Quan Alexander to the list coming off an ACL, they, they they were able to offer deals that had a ton guaranteed in the first year, but then were pretty easy exits after year one, I mean, these were totally different contracts than something like a guy like Khalil Mack would sign with the Bears, which obviously is a ton of guaranteed money throughout a, a lot of the deal, not just in year one. So I called them ripcords. The 49ers could get out of these deals fairly easily, you know, fairly painlessly after year one. And D. Ford's was one of those deals with a ton of guaranteed money up front and only about a six million dollar dead money charge if they got rid of him after this year. Now, the D Ford thing is complicated because of the issue that Matt talked about. The 49ers actually traded for him and gave up a second round pick. So, uh, you know, aside from the argument about whether or not D Ford will be available enough to make a big enough impact in 2020, the 49ers also are operating with uh, the you know, the mentality that they gave up a second round pick for this guy, so they probably want to keep him around, right? To to get some value, recoup some value for that second round pick.
2: Yeah, and so I, I guess, you know, that that's going to be another decision. I mean, you, you you say that, you know, keep him around because, yeah, we gave up a lot for him. But, uh, you know, he was hurt a lot of the season. And, you know, he when he came in, he was good. But I, I'm sure they want more, you know, play time out of him on the field. And you said Eric, Eric Armstead is a guy, like you said, he's a guy that plays inside and outside. Uh, so you know it, it's going to be tough to to kind of figure out what happens with, but it's important to keep that defensive line intact. And and my big thing is, you know, do you see a Ronald Blair? Is, is he a guy that maybe if a D Ford can't be there, is he going to be a guy that can come on and play on that outside? But it, it's going to be important to see you know what 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 the depth continues to be. I think Sheldon Day is important, um, and you know keep him on the squad because he helps spell these guys every once in a while. So. You know, I I still think, you know, DeForest uh, and Eric Armstead, I think it's important to keep them part of this team, part of this defense, because they make everything else. You know, the linebacker makes their play, you know, better, makes the uh, secondary. We saw that. Makes their play better. And then you got the Richard Sherman thing. Uh, And I don't know the status of his his contract. It's important for him to stay, but, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we talk about long in the teeth. He's a guy that's getting... A little older, and we saw in the in the Super Bowl, he he kind of gave up that big play in the fourth quarter, kind of guessing on a route. So you know, there's a lot of decisions to be made. But I think it's important. You, I think it starts with that defensive line, and we haven't even talked about the offensive line. You know, that that's another important part of this team. So it's going to be interesting offseason, I think.
0: It's going to be fascinating for the 49ers. A guy like Richard Sherman is a great point that you brought up, Dennis. He only has one more year left on his contract. And he told me before the Super Bowl that the 49ers said they wanted to sit down with him at some point early this offseason to start talking about an extension. And what the extension does, it's it's not so much about years past uh, 2020 or 2021. It's about 2020. It's it's about Potentially lowering his cap hit, which is going to raise this year because he achieved all of his incentives this past year. So what happens in terms of salary cap purposes, you have likely to be earned incentives and not likely to be earned incentives. And if an incentive is not likely to be earned based on the fact you didn't get it last year, it doesn't count against the cap. But Richard Sherman's deal, which has a ton of All-Pro, Pro pro Bowl incentives, the fact that he made the Pro Bowl this year, the fact that he was an All-Pro this year, means that all of a sudden those incentives are likely to be earned next season, which counts against the 49ers cap even more. So it makes sense that the 49ers would want to sit down with a guy like that talk about an extension, maybe move some of that cap hit back. Again, you can't move too much of it back because then you're going to screw yourself over in 2021, 2022. But it's all part of this really intricate puzzle that the 49ers are trying to get done. Matt, I still want to talk a little bit more about George Kittle. We tapped on it a little bit earlier, but I mean, this one, it's one the 49ers technically don't need to get done this offseason, but maybe they do because George Kittle's playing right now on a $735,000 contract next year as one of the best players in football. So there's a good chance that even if the 49ers don't give him a new deal, he doesn't play another down on his rookie contract. And that's going to be quite the pay hike, right? From 735000 to maybe north of $15 How do you think that's going to go? Because I think this is one that NFL agents and owners and GMs everywhere are going to be paying really close attention to.
1: Yeah, I think the the agent has the advantage here. I mean, you think about the Kyle Shanahan offense and who really epitomizes what they do. The answer is, is George Kittle. I mean... He does a little bit of everything. As you alluded to, um, You know, we're going to be talking about wide receiver money with him, not merely tight end money, because he is their leading receiver uh, in catches, in yards. He runs the ball. Uh, they ask him to block defensive ends. Some of the defensive ends that he's blocking are making you know, north of, of, of $15 million a year. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm writing something right now, Uh, you know, the two lowest rushing games for the 49ers this year came in weeks 10 and 11. It's no coincidence that those were the games that, that George Kittle was absent. I mean, the agent will be able to sit down with the 49ers and really have a great argument for why he deserves to... Is it 14 million? Is it fifteen? Is it sixteen? Is it seventeen? I mean, there's he can almost ask for the world in this, and and the 49ers would have a hard time saying no. I mean, Kittle has almost become the face of this team, too. He's got such a huge personality that um, you know, nobody can see him not playing uh for the 49ers. He's become synonymous with the Forty ers and that that gives him a lot of sway in in this uh, in this negotiation. That's probably going to last well into into March.
2: What a great position to be in! He's worked for it. He's earned it. But uh, yeah, he can pretty much write his own check. Uh, they can back up the Brinks truck for George Kittle because you know he is this offense. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is the face of this offense, but he makes his offense go. And you and you said it, Matt. I mean, what he does in the run game, what he does in the passing game, what he does—it just kind of you know, making defenses kind of move coverage to him. He, he does everything. He's, he's done a fantastic job. And I like when you said, you know, receiver money, and that's what he's going to go out looking for. And I'm sure his agents excited about it, you know, getting that, getting that signing bonus or getting that guaranteed money because last couple of years, at least he's been probably that the best offensive player on the football field. And and I, I love to see when an athlete can sit back and kind of say kind of what he deserves and, and he's already proven it and i think the 49ers would be crazy not to match any offer or any or 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 discuss any offer that he might come up with
0: yeah and and i think it's it's headed toward that because you just simply if you're kittles agent you have to show the 49ers the box score or the film from the couple games that he missed in the middle of the season and you saw how that offense just plummeted without George Kittle especially the run game i mean if Shanahan is basing what he does on the rushing attack, then he's basing what he does on George Kittle because the, his ability to block to either side, to motion over and, and be that you know key blocker for virtually anything that the 49ers do with his athleticism and, and his ambidexterity, um, that's, that's just huge for how the 49ers operates. And that's before you add in the fact that he was actually the most efficient receiver in football this year even more than wideouts. It, it was crazy. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, he's right up there with those with those receivers. So he can ask what he wants, and 49ers are probably going to have to give it, and I don't think they'll mind in the case of George Kittle. And that you know really sets up what, what the other deals are going to be. And if I had to make a prediction, I think DeForest Buckner's is going to come first. I really do, because that one saves the 49ers short-term money. I yeah, think I agree. They would yeah, I think they would really want to get that one done for the framework. And we, we should talk about, to finish up, the potential releases that will happen. I don't think we've touched on this enough. In my piece that came out on Wednesday, I listed four guys who might be casualties here of uh, just you know being cut because their salaries could save the 49ers some money. Receiver Marquise Goodwin, I think everybody agrees on that one. That's $3.66 million. Running back Jerick McKinnon is more interesting. I, that contract is done for sure. I think even McKinnon admitted that. So that'd be $4.5 million in savings. But he's one of those guys that is willing to stay with the 49ers at a pay cut. He said so last week. Then there's Tevin Coleman. I don't know about this one. I know Kyle Shanahan likes him a lot, but that is $4.9 million in clean savings if the 49ers don't retain Coleman. So he definitely has to be on the list there because uh, that's a lot of money they can save with one player. And then there's a guy like uh, Mark Nazacha. Uh, I know the 49ers love his special teams contribution, but he'll cost $1.5 million next year. Um, and if they feel they can get a rookie on a you know minimum five hundred thousand deal or whatever it is, I think four hundred eighty thousand next season, that's a million in savings. And if a team is up against the cap, Matt, those are the kind of decisions that they may have to make—a million here, a million there—and and that puts guys like Nazacha, I think, on on notice right now just because it's uh, it's going to be tight for the 49ers, and we don't know how this is going to play out.
1: Yeah, um, the special teams coordinator, Richard Hightower, loves Mark Nazacha but um, you're right. I mean, uh, on a very cramped team as far as the salary cap, uh, I, I don't know if a, uh, if a key special teamer like that is going to have a lot of sway. Uh, I thought Elijah Lee started to come on on special teams. They've got a lot of guys who— theoretically could step up into that role and, and, and might be uh, pressed to do that. Running back was interesting just when you were going down that list. If Jarek McKinnon does restructure his deal, can the team depend on him as one of their you know top three running backs? I know Kyle Shanahan would love to have him uh, in the lineup, but the injury history is, is troubling there. Whereas Tevin Coleman has been much more durable over his career. So at that position, you've got Raheem Mostert coming back, and you've got Matt Breida. And the question would be, how do you kind of round out that group? So that would be, you know, up to Shanahan, I think, to make that final decision. David, I mean, the the question that Dennis raised and and you've raised it uh, in, in part would be, do you see any scenario where they would release D Ford with that escape clause that you were sort of or escape hatch that you were describing earlier? Well, it's funny because
0: I didn't think so at all before the Super Bowl. And, and uh, you know, you know me. I try to stay away from one game. Um, I, I try to stay away from one game really swaying me or determining course because I think there's way too much of that in, in the media as there is. So I, I have to stay with my season-long view on this. And it was that the 49ers were just so much better when D. Ford was in the lineup with their pass rush. And, you know, even talking to Chris Kocurek before the Super Bowl, he said that one of the ultimate keys to this wide nine and the success of this pass rush is having two studs bookending it. And one of those guys with the 49ers, obviously a guy that they um, will hope to keep for a very, very long time, is Nick Bosa. And the other guy this year was D. Ford. And, you know, they were able to use smoke and mirrors whenever Ford was hurt in, in some of those games to... Uh, make the other side work but once that depth dried up for the 49ers and it was only Bosa and Ford was on the bench that's when the defense actually struggled this season so I think that having both of those guys is invaluable to the 49ers that's why they were willing to ship a second round pick over to Kansas City before paying D Ford the big contract and ultimately he was available in the postseason he did notch five pressures in the Super Bowl it wasn't a great game for him Bosa played awesome in that game I don't think Ford showed up the way the 49ers would have liked him to but he was he was great against the Packers he was great against the Vikings and he was there you know at crunch time not in week 17 but in the playoffs he was there and I think the 49ers will will try to ride this out see if, if he can really get that knee into into shape where they're not worried about um, you know week to week health with him. And if it doesn't work out after this season, then the dead money hit goes down even further. It goes down to under $5 million, and the 49ers can save $13 million if they release him next year. So I think from the financial perspective, it makes most sense to keep D. Ford for one more year, see if he can figure out the knee issues, because he was a big boost to that defensive line when he was in.
2: You talk about guys that may not be or may be released. I think of a Solomon Thomas and a Dante Pettis. Are they to the point now? I think Kyle Shanahan is, is pretty much kind of given up on Dante, unfortunately. I think he's a huge talent. I think he's I think he can play in this league. It, it just it didn't work for him uh this season. And you know, Solomon Thomas, we've been talking about him. I think he's gotten a lot better. But you know, do you go out and, and try to figure out if there's some worth in him or do you just kind
0: of release him? So with Solomon Thomas, the fact that the 49ers picked him in the top five is a weight that continues to hang around their neck. Because of how the draft works, every spot is slotted and those first few picks in the draft are extremely expensive, and they're really hard, if not impossible, to get rid of on the rookie deal. With Solomon Thomas, the 49ers would not have any cap savings if they released him. Zero. They would incur over $8 in dead money. Zero cap savings. The one way they could save against the cap is if they trade Solomon Thomas. They could save about $4.6 million against the cap, which obviously is is something, right? That's uh, worth considering. The problem is, who's going to trade? For Solomon Thomas I don't think that the you know it's <laughs> the 49ers can expect to get anything in the mid rounds back maybe they get a seventh rounder but then again is a team willing to take on the last year of that contract and that cap hit a lot of that cap hit for Solomon just one year of Solomon Thomas I think that they might be in a bind here with him if they can't find a trade partner and that means that you just have to keep him because it's not worth taking an eight million dollar cap hit um, you know, just to cut a guy. He's a good enough player to fortify that defensive line with depth. So uh, that just goes back to you have to hit on those very early draft picks because you're really stuck in between a rock and a hard place if if they're not playing like top players.
1: Yeah, I don't see them getting yeah. very much yeah. for, for Thomas at all. Maybe, like you said, a seventh-round pick, but he's only got one more year left on his, uh, his rookie contract. So any team that traded for him would be only getting him for a season and he just hasn't shown enough to make that worthwhile
2: we were talking about the receivers and you know there's a lot of receivers out there that you know maybe you can bundle a trade i know aj aj green is out there and you know maybe that's something you can maybe bundle and and you know get you a receiver or, or get you another defensive
0: lineman you know aj green is a great point and actually a commenter on my salary cap story brought it up today um, this goes back to what I was talking about with the not likely to be earned incentives. You know, AJ Green was hurt, hasn't played, and maybe he'll be open to signing a very incentive-based deal, right? And if, if he signs a purely incentive-based deal, then all of those incentives will be not likely to be earned since he didn't play in 2019, which means none of that deal would count or a very little of that deal, I should say, would count against the 2020 cap it could be a way for the 49ers to dance around the fact they don't have a lot of cap space this year and then if aj green does achieve the incentives then they pay him and they pay against the cap later on that being said would A.J. Green accept that kind of deal? Maybe the 49ers have that kind of cachet now that they're Super Bowl contenders. You know, you you have a receiver come in because he feels he can be the, the missing piece, but I think there's just as good of a chance that another team is willing to pay him a lot more up front and, and he'd rather go there. I don't know. I, I'm not in A.J. Green's head, but that is one opportunity, and that's one way the 49ers can tap dance around the salary cap is by offering these incentive-based deals where the cap hit doesn't come until later.
1: It's a great point because they're suddenly becoming an it team. They're like the, uh, you know, the the NFC version of the of the Patriots, the team that uh, players see an opportunity to to get a championship. I mean, that's that's what the appeal is for Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, he wants to be here because he sees the the possibilities. So uh, maybe uh, that's exactly what happens. Is that They let uh, Emmanuel Sanders go to the free agent market. And maybe he doesn't get, you know, an an offer that really floats his boat either and would come back for a smaller amount. Um, But, um, you know, there is an argument to be made that the 49ers are becoming a very attractive team. They are on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl. Um, Everybody, obviously, in the locker room loves being here. That that sort of uh, thing gets out uh, to other players. So maybe an a j green who's been stuck on a bad uh, bengals team for his whole career would would see something like that and and there are more a j green players like that out there one of the issues with with sanders though is that you know this team gave up a third and a fourth round pick for him they got a fifth back but uh you know would would that be worth it just to rent him for half the year and uh having given up all of those picks for him to let him go somewhere else so that's another argument for bringing Emmanuel Sanders back in, in 2020.
0: Yeah, you, you're convincing me the more that we talk about that Emmanuel Sanders deal. Hey, you know, he could be a guy. I think he alluded to the notion that there might be a little bit of a discount potentially at play because I think that he did enjoy his time with the 49ers. So um, I put him in the piece at $8 million for a cap hit. He made $10 million last year. Um, I think it's only reasonable to expect that the 49ers can only keep him if it's a little bit less than that. It, it's going to be tough to pay Emmanuel Sanders the full 10, or they can do what what I just talked about with AJ Green. Yeah. They could they could set some you know bigger incentives there that are not likely to be earned this year and say, hey, if you still believe in yourself at 33, if you believe in Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, sign this deal, go out and get it, and we'll pay you the incentive money, and we'll count it against the cap later. You know, there's there's ways to work around this, but you have to be artful about it. And uh, now we're going to see uh, what the 49ers can do between Parag Murathe and John Lynch and uh, it, as they enter a new era, as they open the show. This is a new challenge. It's one they didn't have the past few years.
1: Maybe Emmanuel Sanders can hire Richard Sherman as his agent and have him <laughs> uh, produce the same incentive-based type of uh, contract that Sherman has that, that worked out really well for Sherman.
2: Yeah. yeah, he made a lot of money on his on him and his wife's contract negotiations. That's right,
1: that's right, that's she, sure. right. She ought to be getting 10% of that deal. Oh, she gets 50%. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah she, she's getting her cut of that one. And it's funny, when Richard Sherman talked before the Super Bowl, um, now that I look at it, he might have been putting on a little free agent pitch in, in his spiel. Remember when he was criticizing the Lions. He didn't sign there because he doesn't do the Patriots way. He doesn't condition after practice that he trusts himself to work in a relaxed environment where, where, where you know, he could he could thrive. He doesn't have to be whipped around. And um, he probably knew that, that other potential free agents would see that. And uh, he's making the 49ers more marketable to some of these guys. They already are marketable because this is a winning team now. But if you have a star player or a guy that has multiple options, and uh, you know he's deciding between them, I think in this day and age, especially, he's more likely to come to a the winning team, but b the environment in which he feels most comfortable. And yeah. and I think that Kyle Shanahan is doing his best to create that kind of environment with the 49ers.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna make a bold prediction. I'm 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 thinking Richard Sherman's gonna finish his career as a 49er. And then he's gonna become. A 49ers coach that's my bold prediction
1: nice will he be a 49ers safety in the interim between those uh, those two things no uh, no not in his
0: scheme not in his <laughs> scheme that, that that's the thing the, the unless he played strong safety which i don't think he wants to commit himself to at this age just all that contact in there but three safety and a uh, cover three is out of the question right i mean that's that's an entirely different position that actually ironically requires more speed than cornerback in this scheme
1: yeah you want to you want a 4-4 guy at the slowest
0: there yeah so i know there's talk about that and i know richard himself has said yeah he's willing to play safety if somebody asks him at the very end of his career but he still wants to play four or five more years so i don't know if that's going to happen but but he said that under the you know, impression that the team that would ask him is playing something other than the cover three, and that's a long way away. He still, guys, was you know one of the top corners in the game this year. I think he struggled in the Super Bowl, but it, again, it's very dangerous to look at one game, especially against Patrick Mahomes, who made everybody look bad this season. Look at that one game and project it into next year. Oh, Richard Sherman's fallen off a cliff. Jimmy Garoppolo's terrible because of one quarter after he took a. Helmet to helmet hit there at the end. You know, it's it, it's uh, it's one of those where the 49ers need to look at the big body of work, and it was very good this year, and that's why they want to keep the team together. If they were basing this all in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, they would cut everybody, right? <laughs> so <laughs> they, they
1: would keep Bosa and maybe Buckner, but yeah, uh, Bosa and Buckner, up. that's it. Cool. Hey, real quick, what is the what's
2: the status of Jaquaski Tart? I mean, he's a guy that he's, I think is important in this defense. Also, he
1: he signed through 2020. But um, a lot of the, uh, the defensive backs, Richard Sherman's signed through 2020, Akella Witherspoon's signed through 2020, Tart is signed through 2020. So the bulk of that secondary is only signed through this upcoming season. So that's, that's really got to be something where they're looking long-term because uh, that, that, uh, th- there's about to be some big changes there. Yeah. Yeah
0: this is going to be a huge year. Uh, That's a great point, Matt, through the sign through 2020. I think that's one reason they want to really circle the wagons and go for big this year. And then you have to keep it sustainable for the long term. I mean, it's it's tough to to win in the National Football League these days uh, for a long time because because of the salary cap and because of all these problems that we outlined. But good stuff, guys. Man, there's a lot to talk about. And We'll have more shows and more time in future weeks as this starts to develop to break it down. Hopefully we gave everybody a good overview of what to expect and that laid out the the financial strategy for the 49ers. Anyway, for Dennis Brown and Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi saying so long and here's the Catch Podcast.